The following teaching is brought to you by Crosspoint Church. For sermon notes and other resources, visit go to crosspoint.com. That's awesome. Hey, good morning, Crosspoint. How are you guys doing? You're good? Ready for Christmas, right? Yeah, sure. Uh, we're in our anticipation series. The idea of Advent is the idea of anticipation, looking forward to the fact that the King is coming. And for the last four weeks, we've been in this series and we've lit a candle every week to symbolize something that's all about Christmas Eve, or the Christmas season. The first week was, for those of you that weren't here, I'll catch you up in about 30 seconds here, was all about that when God comes into our world, he comes into a world of unreal, unbelievable awful problems and pain. And if you were here that weekend, I told you it was the worst Christmas message you ever heard. Not because it was lame, but because it was just so gritty and raw. This is not about like beautiful Christmas trees and lights and presents. Uh, The the, the problem was there was a God-sized problem that human beings could not solve, that only God could solve it. And then the next two weeks, we talked about the, the predictions and the promises that God made that someone was coming and then the promise when the angel shows up to some shepherds out in a field that says, I've got good news of great joy for all the people. And it's fascinating that because we have so sanitized the Christmas story, we see those shepherds around our little nativity scenes that we have in our homes and think, oh, precious moments, oh. Shepherds were sketchy, jacked up, weird people, man. You'll see on your note sheet today. There's a, a little thing at their beginning here. We, we find ourselves now today at, at week four of Advent looking at the unlikely people that God uses, that God encounters at Christmas time shepherds and wise men. Uh, contrasting groups of people. The, the shepherds are scary, the magi or the wise men are very respected. Uh, the, the shepherds are at the bottom edge of, they're on the fringe, they're an outlier on society. They're jacked up, screwed up, messed up people. If they showed up here at church, we would not let them volunteer in our kids' ministry. We just wouldn't. Over here, you have the wise men that are highly respected. The, the shepherds are poor. Uh, the wise men, the magi, are wealthy. The shepherds are not educated at all. The wise men are very educated, master's degrees, doctor's degrees from the leading prestigious universities. The shepherds are irreligious, anti-religious. The magi, the wise men, are ultra-religious. And we sometimes hear the word wise men and we think, oh, these are just wise, smart guys. No. What happens here with the magi, our our language doesn't have a really good word for this, but, but the magi, these wise men, would be like a combination of philosophy, science, and religion together. They didn't see things all kind of separate like we've done with the Enlightenment now for several hundred years in the West. They saw it all together, and so they would look in the stars. And not astronomers looking in the stars to study stars and the science, astrologers. Some of you have done this. You, some of you are doing this still. You're a little crazy. You have your little zodiac signs, and you're little looking at the horoscope, and that's what they were doing looking in the stars, and they were worshiping the stars, looking for wisdom and guidance in the stars. Uh, 
Last week, Pastor Rob was here and talked to us about the promises that God made to the shepherds that day. And he told us, at the Christmas season, it's really easy to go to the front porch for Amazon, to go to the mall for presents, or if you're smart like me, go to Amazon. Go to all these places. At some point, you got to go to the manger. Get yourselves to Jesus in the manger. If you have a Bible, find Luke chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, there's Bibles underneath the chairs around you. Um, Luke chapter 2. It says that when the angels... Let's find what verse we're in. Verse 17 of Luke 2. This is they heard, I'm sorry, verse 16. says they hurried to go find this place in Bethlehem where this baby was. And they hurried and they found him and, and there was the baby. And after, what's that next word there? Seeing him. In your Bible, if you have your own mobile device, your, well, it's your mobile device, it's probably your own. You're not using somebody else's. But your own Bible, do some things to highlight or underline, circle that word seeing him. That's really important. The shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. You know what? The angels never tell the shepherds, hey, go spread the word about this baby. Never tell them that. Baby Jesus, laying there in the manger, doesn't reach up to him and grab him and go, go tell people about me. Doesn't do any of that. You know why they told people about Jesus? Because they saw him. When was the last time I saw Jesus? Not just read words about Jesus, not sat in a small room, talked about Jesus, but I mean encountered Jesus. That makes, that's the difference. When you really see and encounter Jesus, nobody will have to tell you what to do. You'll be eager to do it. It won't be obligatory or a, a duty or a religious thing that you do. So that's the shepherds. They tell everyone what they've seen and heard. Now, finding your Bible is the book of Matthew. It's two books back to the left in your Bible. So if you're in Luke, just go back to the left, past Mark, and go to Matthew chapter 2. And we look at a contrasting picture of these unlikely people, of these wise men. And it's fascinating to me because it's been very fashionable in Christianity, especially in the West, to talk about that God just likes the jacked up, messed up, the fringe, the people that are all messed up. And that's certainly true. He's there for the messed up, the shepherds over here. You know who else he likes? Rich people, educated people, people who have their act together. He likes us all. He's, he's, he did this for us all. Matthew chapter 2, Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men, the Magi from eastern lands, arrived in Jerusalem asking, where is the newborn king? of the Jews. We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. And this is not just three wise men. This is probably a whole entourage. This is, today if it happened, it'd be three jets land at LAX from somewhere over in Dubai. And all of a sudden they show up with their entourage, and it kind of creates the press shows up, and what, they're asking this question to, where's this new king? You know who's concerned about the new king? <laughs> the current king. And if you study history at all, Herod was a disaster. He was evil, cruel, awful, king, but he had a lot of power. And then there's this interview that happens in the next few verses, and Herod says, hey, when you find the king, come tell me about him so I can go worship him too. That was not his plan. His plan was to wipe him out, was to, to kill him. We're going to see about that at the end of Matthew chapter 2. Look down at verse 9 now. After this interview, the wise men went their way, and the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. 
and went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Here's what's fascinating about this. These wise men were involved in pagan, idolatrous, and at some level probably demonically influenced uh, religious philosophy to seek God. Pantheism, the idea of worshiping the, cre- the creation, not the creator. They're worshiping the stars, looking for wisdom and insight from the stars. And I would look at that and go, well, when you fools get your act together, then God will show himself up to you. You know what God does? You fools are looking in the wrong place, but you're looking in the stars, I'll put a star there for you. But do you see what happens, though? In Revelation 22, verse 16, it's one of the last things that Jesus is quoted as saying in the book. And in there, he he says this, I am the lion of the tribe of Judah. I am the bright and morning star. And here's what the wise men do. They quit looking to the stars and worshiping the stars, and they worship the star. This is what it means, folks, to become a Christian. No matter what your journey has been, at some point you come to a place of going, I'm going to make my life all about this thing. And some of you have been worshiping and looking all kinds of places. These wise men come to a place and go, we've been doing this all wrong. And how crazy that must have been. Mary and Joseph. Jesus is probably now not just the baby in the manger anymore. This may be a year or two after he was born. They're in a house right now. And these rich, wealthy people come down and bow down to your child. Crazy. And then it says, Then they opened their treasure chests and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. They, they worshiped God. They, wow, this is amazing. We found the one. And they gave. And just, this is not a big major point today, but just something to consider today. It's more of a question that I wrestle with some in the last couple of weeks as I was putting this together. Does how I handle my money at all reflect the devotion I feel towards Jesus? It just got quiet in here. He's talking about money at Christmas time. Uh-oh. <laughs> See, I think at some level, the way you handle money, when you're giving to church, giving to, to victims of poverty and justice and missionary work all over God's kingdom work is not a, a something you do out of a sense of, well, they got to pay bills. I guess that's what we're supposed to do here. Uh-uh. When you, watch this, see Jesus and you genuinely encounter Jesus, you know what's going to happen? Your wallet opens up. Not because, well, gosh, I guess I have to. How, how, what do I have to do here? What's, do, I, do I give off the, the, the net or off the gross or off the, whatever. It's, all those questions go away. When you see Jesus, giving just flows out of that. One of you likes that. I'm glad. <laughs> so that's the outliers. That's the jacked up people, the shepherds over here, and the, woo, the amazing, rich, wealthy people over here. Uh, some of us today would probably put ourselves, and maybe we'd be in the upper class, like over here. Some of us would go, well, I got a jacked up story. But you know who most of us are today in the story? We're neither of those. You know who we are? No, the next one there, Mary and Joe. Mary and Joseph. Find Luke, back to Luke chapter 2. And we're going to go back and forth between Matthew and Luke, so maybe put something there. Luke 
chapter 1, verse 26. This is going to talk about Mary, the mother of Jesus. Uh, and she has a relative named Elizabeth who gets pregnant. And that's all talked about before this. But look like at verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee. Now, we hear the word Nazareth today and go, oh yeah, Nazareth, that famous place over there. That amazing, powerful, beautiful city there. Back then, in those days, you know what Nazareth was? It was a nothing city. Nobody knew anything about it. It probably had 400 people in this little village that lived there. It'd be like today if I told you, hey, something amazing is going to happen up in Lodi today. Some of you go, Lodi? Is that in California? Some of you go, I've driven by Lodi on the 99 or the 5. It's somewhere up there. It's a place you drive through, not a place you drive to. That's what Temecula used to be. Uh, some of you remember back here 20, 30 years ago. But uh, Lodi, nothing ever happens there, ever. Nazareth. Nothing important ever happened there. These two probably, we don't know, Mary anywhere from 14, 15 to maybe 18 years old. Joseph probably in the same age range. A couple of kids from a nothing village where nothing ever happened. You did your best to get out of there. In fact, it's going to tell us in John 1, 45 and 46, there's this little phrase when Jesus kind of bursts on the scene when he's 30 years old. And people ask, well, where is he from? And they think, okay, from a major university, from some major city. You know where is he from? Nazareth. And one of the guys goes, Phew. Nazareth? Does anything good come out of Nazareth? And the answer is no. <laughs> Nothing important, exciting, interesting ever comes out of Nazareth. And that's where God shows up with the angel. Uh, angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman! The Lord is with you. Now you get a figure. Mary coming home from middle school, high school that day, throws her backpack down in the bed, closes the door to her room, and all of a sudden there's an angel standing there. Hey, how you doing? You're favored. God's with you. That'd be a little weird. So that's the next two lines here. Confused and disturbed. Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Oh, don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus, he will be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. Mary asked the angel, how? But, but how, how can this happen? I'm a virgin. She goes, I, I know how this works. This is impossible. I wonder... Over the years, if you have thought, because we live here now in the West where we've had the written word of God and we sometimes just go, we have, you know, 17 Bibles at our house that get cracked open once in a while and just kind of look at this and go, but what I really would love, if God would just really show up for me dramatically like that, like an angel or a big vision or a dream, something big and dramatic would happen, boom, that's what I need. That wouldn't make the difference for me. And I'm telling you, if God ever shows up for you dramatically, you're going to be just like Mary. You'll be confused and disturbed and have more questions than you have answers. Because God's going to show up. If God shows up like that, he's going to tell you some amazing things. And you're going to go, uh, uh, whatever. But God listens to the questions, and Gabriel gives her an answer. The angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy and will be called the Son of God. What's more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. People used to say she was barren, but now she's in her sixth month, four, and I have these words highlighted in my Bible, nothing 
is impossible with God. And that's great. And pastors love God. Nothing's impossible. God, look at Mary. And the, if I'm Mary, climb inside the story. You've just said, how can this be? I know how this works. I've never been with the man. For me to get pregnant, it's impossible. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. And you will be conceived supernaturally by the Holy Spirit. You're going, that's not helping me. That's really not helping me right now. You haven't really told me how this is going to happen, but it's fascinating here. Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. You know what she does here? All right, God, I don't get this. I don't understand this. But you're not working for me. I'm working for you. I am the Lord's servant. You're not mine. So whatever you said here, I don't get it. I don't understand it. And then you got to figure, Mary walks out and go, may everything you've said about me come true. And she walks out, she unpacks her backpack, and all of a sudden she goes, Joseph. What, what, what am I going to tell Joseph? Back in Matthew. Back in Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. Matthew tells the story from Joseph's perspective. Uh, this is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph, but before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, her fiancé, was a good man and did not want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement quietly. As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she'll have a son, you're going to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And then Matthew puts a little commentary in here. All this was occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through the prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child, she'll give birth to a son, and they'll call him Emmanuel, which means God's with us. When Joseph woke up, pause there for a second. God's just told you to do something stupid, crazy, weird, humiliating, awful. And he even showed up in a dream. What do you do when you wake up? Be honest. I'm going to see the pastor or the priest. I'm going to ask God for another, give me, you got to do, but look at this. When Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord had commanded, he took Mary as his wife, but he did not have sexual relations with her until her son was born and Joseph named him Jesus. Back in that culture, they did not do relationships how we do them here, and I'm not sure we're any better or any worse than they are, but it's what they did back then. A lot more things were arranged back then, and we sometimes think, well, it's just the moms and dads telling their kids who to marry. Usually what would happen in a village, you would see like, hmm, and hmm. They keep looking at each other in middle school and high school. Maybe we should mm, see about putting something together here. They would arrange marriages, and back then it was not, you did not go to a restaurant and get down on a knee or go to the beach or go up on a hot air balloon ride and give her a ring and go, now we're engaged. Back then, you went to the courthouse, to the legal authorities. Betrothal was as legally binding back then as marriage is today. It's an actual contractual covenantal agreement that you make. And then what happens is you don't consummate the marriage. There's not the wedding night. That happens later. The man then goes away and gets everything ready to start his family. Sometimes that would happen quickly. Sometimes that would happen. That would take a while to get everything lined up and get done. So Joseph goes away to do that. And in the middle of all that, 
he's out there in his shop, out there sawing on something or chipping away at some stone or whatever he's doing, making and building stuff. And Mary comes in and says, um, like, uh, Joe, Seth, um, um, we, we need to talk. How many men know that when your woman says that to you, that's not going to be a good conversation? Right? That's never good. Whenever she says, we need to talk, ladies, here's a free one for you. Don't say we need to talk. Just start talking. Because you put us on tilt. We go, what did I forget? What did I do? And we're already on the defensive. Just start talking. That's nothing to do with this today, but there you go. We need to talk. And then, she, you know, the whole, like, we have no idea because the Bible doesn't tell us. Like, okay, so, um, promise you won't get mad. Promise you won't yell. Promise, you know, whatever. Um, we're going to have a, ba- no. I'm going to have a baby. And if you're Joseph, what's your first thought? She's been with somebody. Was she assaulted by somebody? Was she cheating on me? We don't know. That's his first his first thought is what she's done. And then her explanation. Your first thing is maybe she's a naughty girl or maybe some bad things have happened to her. And then her explanation makes you think she's nuts. An angel visited me. And the power of the Most High will overshadow me. And the child born in me will be here is conceived by the Holy Spirit. <laughs> you think, she's, she's nuts. So Joseph goes, I'm not, I'm not spending my life with this woman. I'm going to divorce her quietly. Because back then, it was actually to, to break a, a, an engagement, a betrothal. It was like an actual divorce proceeding to break that relationship. And oftentimes, back in that culture, women were shamed. Especially if, if she was perceived as cheating on him. And she's pregnant with somebody else's baby. She could even be back, there was from time to time, women were actually executed for this back in that culture. So it goes like he's a good man, doesn't want to put her shame and disgrace, his power is probably broke. We have no idea. He's going to just make this happen quietly. And then the dream happens. And Joseph says, he woke up and did what God said. No matter how weird it was, or how much this is confusing and crazy and weird. And you think the conception story is crazy and weird. Just, well, we're going to see here in a bit. When you obey God, sometimes it turns out great, amazing, and awesome. And sometimes it's like, um, can I switch religions? Because sometimes you obey God and it's like, this is not how I would have thought it would have worked out. If you're Mary and Joseph, this is not how you would have predicted. You're going to give birth to the Savior of the world. We'll get to that in a second. What I'm struck with about in this story is we have the, the outliers. We have the shepherds over here, the magi, the wise men over here, and a bunch of us just regular, ordinary folks from Lodi, <laughs> from just wherever, here in, in the middle. Extraordinarily ordinary. With Mary and Joseph, and uh, I wonder today, I don't have it on, it's not going to be up on the screen and I didn't put it, I forgot to put it on your note sheet. Just write this phrase down and we're going to do some work here. Fill in the blank. I wish I was more. I wish I was more. And then a blank there. Because if you're like me, if you're one of the ordinary kinds of stories in your life, you sometimes think, I wish I was more smart, <laughs> was more educated. I wish athletic. 
I wish I was in better shape. I wish I was good looking. Wish I, it's not that funny. I'm not that. <laughs> I wish I was more interesting. Um, wish I was financially, had more money. I wish I, wish I had better people skills. I just don't do good with people. You can always think, man, I, if, to really, to be what I really wish I could be, or to be used by God, or see God's purpose fulfilled in my life, here's what it's going to take. I wish I was more fill in the blank. And sometimes that's not I wish I was more. It's I wish I, I wish I hadn't blown up my marriage. I wish I hadn't done that stuff back in high school, middle school, college years. I wish. And you can just fill in the blank of just a, the stuff. You just go, dang, I wish. But for Mary and Joseph, I bet they don't have very many. I wish I was less. I think, you know, like if we're like them at all, the ordinariness of our lives, it's, I, I wish I had a more interesting story. You, you know how it is. If you grew up going to church and they went to big conferences and they bring a speaker up to speak, you know they bring up to speak? The person who, oh man, my life was jacked up mess. I was selling meth at four years old to the kids in the playground and I killed 17 children by the time I was seven, you know, they, the crazy stories. And then I met Jesus and you and I hear that and go, hmm, you know the worst drug I ever did? NyQuil. You just kind of go, that's, so you think, well, how's God ever going to use it? I'm just a nothing from nobody. I'm from Lodi. And I've never done all, all that interesting. Um, I wish there was something quirky and cool and interesting about me that would make me more fascinating, more interesting. Maybe then God could use me or I could see God's purposes. Like my story. Just I'll tell you my story. And here's what I'm telling you today. The big disclaimer on this, this is not trying to get you to write nice things about me on your connection card. Please don't do that. This is not, this is not what this is about. This is not therapy for me right now with you and I. My story is an incredibly ordinary story. I was born into a Christian uh, family. I was the firstborn child. Uh, I was going to church when I was two years old and not going to the nursery. I was sitting in church with mom and dad. We were raised very, 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 very conservatively. I'm not sure there was anybody more conservative than we were. Back then, it was a little nuts, a little weird, but when you're in the middle of it doing it, it doesn't seem all that nuts and weird to you. It's just what you do. Some of you know what that's like, right? So it was all, all that and more. Um, I grew up there. I was never kind of part of any cool group or the, the people, even like in elementary school, I was never picked like last and shunned, never picked first for anything, anywhere, just somewhere in the, the bottom 75 percentile. I remember in uh, 10th grade, we moved from San Jose down, back down to uh, Anaheim, back down to Southern California. And there's this girl that I liked up in, and she, her name was Christy, in 10th grade. Uh, we went out on one date, really, so that I knew we were dating or anything, but I was in love with her. She was awesome. She was way out of my league, all that kind of stuff. So I'm writing letters to her, back from going back and forth, trying to keep this relationship alive. And trying to be more interesting than I was, my parents found one of the letters I wrote all about sneaking out at night and drinking and starting to mess with different drugs and things like that and all this stuff. And they were like freaked out. Obviously, you would find that as a letter. I made it all up. What a pathetic loser. <laughs> I made it all up, just trying to be cool and interesting to a cute girl. Uh, in college, uh, all these people that were interesting, and you know, I, go, I, I graduated from a high school, that, this is weird, going to be weird to some of you, uh, that had 11 people in the graduating class. I was the only male in the whole deal. It was weird. Oh, terrible. Yeah. 
just ordinary, and didn't think much about it then. Get to college. I'm, I'm not athletic. I'm not cool. I'm not all that. But there was some stuff with at the little school I went to was involved in drama stuff. So I thought maybe I could do some of that here. Always auditioned for stuff, never got cast in anything except I was villager number 17. <laughs> Somebody in the background, usually I spent most of my time climbing up around in the rafters doing lights and sound and building and painting. And it wasn't even very good at any of that. Just kind of did some of that kind of stuff. I got out of college, including what I do with my life. Uh, working at 7-Eleven, the, the graveyard shift, and selling service contracts at the RCA service company, helping out at a church in Encinitas, not doing anything interesting. But um, back in the day, uh, for those of you that are, are younger, they had this thing called um, cassette tapes. And they would distribute these. They had a little thing. You would put the master over here, and, and in 47 seconds, you can make 14 copies and put, we'll put labels on them and get those ready for people to come pick up afterwards. I know, fascinating. Ah, so, uh, but I find this church in North County, San Diego, and uh, I love the church. Go there. The church is starting to grow. They're looking for people. They had some really cool uh, people from various student ministries organizations helping out run things. These were cool, interesting people. They had all the cool, they drove the cool, interesting cars. They were leaders. They were athletic. They were sharp, cool, fun, funny, all that kind of stuff and more. And they're trying to get some people to volunteer, not to run the middle school program, but to be a, a, a guy that would show up on Tuesday nights or Wednesday nights and just hang out, play games with the kids and do stuff. And my name came up. You know what they said? Nah. Kids, he does not relate with kids at all, I, whatever. And they finally got so desperate because, you know, working with middle school kids is not everybody's first on the list in a lot of places. Finally asked me and some things happened there and it was just fascinating what happened there. I would find myself, I became the junior high director, pastor, and I would go to conferences where all the, like, we'd be, you know, there's thousands of kids there, and we'd have, have a bunch of those kids there, this thing there. I'd go to youth pastor things, and I would look around, and these people would tell their story about who they are and what they did, and they're all surfers, skaters, tatted up, athletic, great stories, all this amazing, fascinating stuff. And I honestly thought, what am I doing here? There's, there's nothing. It just was a weird thing. I'm just so ultra. The one thing I had specialized in was ordinariness. Moved out here in 2004 to start this church. And then you're meeting other people starting churches out here. And you know what you know all about them? They're funny. They've, they've got great, I mean, they're these capital L kind of visionary leaders that can chart a vision and just let's go charge hell with a water pistol. Let's go do that kind of stuff and galvanize people behind all of that. They had great backstories of their life before Christ. Their testimony was so interesting. And what I noticed about most of them is they just had a great amount of personal charm and charisma. They could just walk into a room and just, I was none of those things. I thought, what am I doing here? Some of you are going, yeah, why do we even go to this church? And I think I might be exhibit 167,233 of a verse from 1 Corinthians chapter 1. You can turn there if you want. I'm going to read it out of the message translation because I think what Eugene Peterson does with this is brilliant. It's going to be up here on the screen as well. 1 Corinthians 1. Take a good look, friends, at who you were when you got called into this life. I don't see many of the best and brightest among you. Not many influential. Not, hang on a second. Not many 
from high society families. Now, interesting, not many, some, but not many. Isn't it obvious that God deliberately chose men and women that the culture overlooks and exploits and abuses? Chose these nobodies to expose the hollow pretensions of the somebodies. That makes it quite clear that none of you can get by with blowing your own horn before God. He says God just uses what he loves to do is use ordinary people. And again, when Jesus was here and he was calling people to come follow him, he certainly had some jacked up people with messed up. You know who the core of his team were? Dudes. Dudes that ran a fishing company with dad. Nothing spectacular, wow, amazing about any of them. Matthew a little bit because he was the collaborator Roman and Simon who went around killing people who like Matthew. Put those two guys on his team. Everybody else is, I mean, most of, them we don't, most of them we know nothing about. God loves to use you. The ordinary, regular, unlikely, common, whose testimony might be kind of vanilla, kind of ordinary to say, look, that's who I love to use. And I know for some of us who come from uh, Catholic backgrounds, this can be challenging to hear today. To hear that Mary's ordinary? Because you're going, no, she's not. And when you go to Catholic churches here in our country, and especially if you go overseas to Catholic churches, and you walk in there, you know who is prominently displayed? Mary. Massive, massive mosaic, stained glass windows, paintings, pictures of, of Mary. And I feel like Catholics, Protestants have said Catholics have made too much of Mary, and I'm telling you, Protestants have made way too little of her. She's the mother of God. And what's fascinating about this is that God uses her for something extraordinary, not because she's extraordinary, but because he is. And Mary, I think Mary must have been, must have played the guitar or been a musician because she writes a song. She doesn't just talk about all this stuff. She actually sits down at one point, gets out her guitar or her flute or her clarinet or her bassoon, whatever. And she writes a song and puts some lyrics to it. And, and uh, Luke records it for us. Luke chapter 1, look at this. Luke 1, 46. Mary responded, Oh, how my soul praises the Lord, how my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he took notice of his lowly servant girl. And from now on, all generations will call me blessed. And all kinds of generations now call Mary blessed. And they have different ways of expressing that uh, in their particular religion or culture. We're not here to take apart any of that or deconstruct any of that. But all generations call her blessed. For the mighty one is holy and he has done great things for me. Do you see what's happening here? It's not Mary going, I, was, I got my stuff together. I, 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 was, I got my stuff together, got all my stuff together, and go, so God, we oftentimes think that it's like the playground thing where everybody lines up to choose teams. We think, well, God chose Mary because she was first. You know who Mary was? Of the 23 kids lined up there, 14th. Just somewhere there in the middle. And the reason Mary's extraordinary is because God's amazing. And so I think as we do this today, 
take a look at how, how do we respond to this? What's our response and theirs? Because I don't want this to be a just sentimental message about God using unlikely people. The unlikely people we talked to first about the shepherds and the wise men. You know what the shepherds did when they saw Jesus? They told their story. Maybe that's what you need, all you need to do. Just tell your story. And, and, and here and there, not just the emphasis is not on tell. The emphasis is tell your story. And don't worry about it if it's plain, ordinary, whatever, because you know what's going to happen? That's who God's going to put you in contact with. That's who you're going to bump into and go, oh, so you don't have to be wealthy or rich or jacked up, you know, meth addict or whatever to be used by God, to be called by God. I'm just kind of generic, whatever. Tell your story. And it says that the, the wise men, the, the magi, worship and give. Maybe that's our response today is worship and give. You know what worshiping God means for some of you today? If you've been looking for God, searching for God in a lot of places, and it's time for you today to quit just looking around everywhere for vague spirituality and just to feel good about yourself. And maybe it's time to get to the manger and worship him, to give him your life, to become a Christian today. No better time than the weekend before Christmas to get things squared away with you and Jesus. If you have questions about that, on that connection card that they told you about a few minutes ago, put a note there on that uh, about, uh, to me. There's even a little box there. Today I'm becoming a follower of Jesus for the first time. We'd love to talk about what that means, what, what, how you start this journey of discovering and following Jesus. And then they didn't just give their hearts to Jesus. They, they gave financially. And I wonder, the question for us today is, how does my giving, my generosity, how does my money if you look at my money, does it tell you anything about my devotion to Jesus? And, and don't misunderstand this because simply, well, okay, I'm supposed to get, sell everything. And do you know what house payments are here in Temecula right now, Steve? How do I do that and give most of my money to God? God's not asking for most of your money. God's asking for the first bite, the first piece. The, they say, off the top, before I spend anything else, I'm given to God. And one of the things that's been helpful for me over the years when I do this is when I go look at the end of the year or different times of the year based on what I give to the church, what I give to compassion, what I give to missionaries and stuff, I kind of put it together and go, hmm, I've made some sacrifices in our lifestyle in order to do this. I think that's what it means to give to God with a measure of devotion. Now, that is not about an amount. Because for you, some of you to give three or four or five or eight, ten dollars, hmm. Some of you, honestly, give four or $5,000 and you go, oh, I could do a few more things, but you really don't even miss it that much because God just blessed you like crazy. How's it impacting your lifestyle at all? And again, I'm not talking about go sell everything and go move to Lodi. <laughs> and I'm just saying, does God get the first part? And are, does, does my giving honor, does it show any of my worship or devotion to Jesus? And understand something here. This is not about, well, good Christians are supposed to give and that's the right, the dutiful thing to do. <laughs> When you see Jesus, I guess that's my big thing for you today is there's an old school song way back in the day. I think they still play it on different Christian radio stations. It says, open our eyes, Lord. We want to see Jesus. We don't want to just see about Jesus. We don't want to learn Jesus. We want to see him. We want to know that he's real. When that happens for you, no one will have to tell you to talk about Jesus. And your story. No one will have to tell you to worship Jesus, to sing about Jesus, to give to Jesus. It just flows right out of you. And then, again, the focus of our story today was the ordinary folks, Mary and Joseph. You know what they did? Trust and obey. That's all faith is. You know that, right? 
Faith is just saying, God, I trust you enough to do what you say. Even when it's a little Looney Tunes. What do you mean I can't sleep with her before we get married? What do you, what do you mean I, have, I, I should forgive that person? What do you mean? What do you mean I'm going to supernaturally conceive a child? What are you talking about? None of this makes any sense to me. It means you obey God no matter what. And sometimes when you obey God, it's fascinating. Mary and the first miracle that Jesus did was turning, well, it wasn't the first miracle probably, but the first public one he did was at a wedding. The winery ran out of wine. Those of you that work in the industry would know how what a disaster that would be at a wedding for a winery to run out of wine. And back then, they didn't do wedding things like we do three or four hours. They went three or four days. They're out of wine. This is going to be humiliating and awful. And she says, she goes, hey, Jesus, can you help out with that? And he goes, it's not really my time. But, you know, moms can get away with asking things that nobody else can. So he, he, he says, go get the, the cleaning vessels, these 30-gallon things, and fill them with water. And I think the people had to go, what's he talking about? We don't need more water. We need wine. You know what Mary tells him? Just do what he says. If you want to sum up the Christian life and Mary's words to you today, when God tells you to do something, just do what he says. Whether you like it, whether you agree with it, whether it makes sense, whether it works out, whether the results are amazing or the results are eh, whatever. Because think about Mary and Joseph. Chosen to do, if you want to think about, you think your child's amazing. You're giving birth to the creator of the universe in human form. Nobody else has ever, will ever do that. And that was promised. God's going to overpower you, overshadow you, and the power of the Most High is going to be upon you. All generations will call me blessed. Mary's singing a song about it and thinks, okay, God's got this. It's going to be amazing. And she's showing, and Joseph marries her, and then they, the Rob talked about it last week, 90 miles down to Bethlehem? It's six, seven, eight months pregnant? What are you talking about? Shows up exhausted there and can't find a hospital. Can't give birth in her own hometown where there'd be midwives and family and people there. She's got to go to Bethlehem. And all they can find is a place, whether it's a house or a side room or a barn or a cave, so they put Jesus in a manger. And again, our little sentimental little manger scenes with animal dung, animal spit, flies buzzing around, just nasty, gross, smelly, in a manger. And says, then she had to wrap him in swaddling clothes. Now, some of you think, oh, I know what swaddling clothes are. Uh, Chip and Jojo over there in Waco are, have some new line of children's clothing called swaddling clothes. And it's beautiful. Oh, look, swaddling clothes. No, you know what swaddling clothes are? Swaddling clothes are the stuff that you don't use to wear or clean with anymore. It's not dirty and filthy. For me, it's right across from our dryer in our laundry room in a little blue tub down there, raggedy stuff there. That's clean. You can use it. And that's, what they, that's Jesus' onesie. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. God, may everything you said come true. In a manger, flies buzzing around, wrapped up. I don't even get any baby clothes, no baby shower, nothing for this child. And then it tells us in Leviticus chapter 12 that all, all male children, eight days after they're born, taken to the temple for a dedication and purification ritual. And what you did is you would go buy a one-year-old male lamb and bring that as a sacrifice to the temple. 
And that's something that generically just basically everybody could do. You know what Mary and Joseph bring as their sacrifice in the temple? Pigeons. You know what pigeons are? They're the rats of the sky. They're dirty, filthy, and they poop everywhere. They're nasty. Make a mess out of everything. Because there was a stipulation that God put in there that says if they can't, if they're really poor, I mean, not just poor, but like poor, poor, they could bring a couple of pigeons in place of that lamb. Guess what Mary and Joseph bring to dedicate the creator of the universe to God? Pigeons. You gotta be thinking, I thought it would turn out better than this. I thought my life would turn out better. And then they find out that Herod discovers the wise men sidetracked him. They didn't come back and tell him. And so he sends out uh, soldiers to slaughter every child two years old and under born in the southern region of Israel. Thousands of, hundreds and thousands of babies slaughtered. And Mary and Joseph, these two kids from Israel, have to hightail it down to Egypt. Now, for you and I, that doesn't mean a whole lot. That's a long journey. And for those of you that come from that region of the world and know the history, what do Egyptians and Israelis think about each other? You know what their mission is? To wipe the other off the face of the earth. A couple of kids down there with a kid, a couple of teenagers down there with a baby who's the son of God. This is why I'm telling you today, obey God no matter what. My prayers for you, and the Bible's full of stories where it turns out great. But if for God being born into the world, it turns out like this from time to time, your story is going to be like that. And the challenge will be for you, what about when it doesn't turn out right? What about when it doesn't go how I think it should? When I decided to be sexually pure before I got married. When I decided to give and tithe off the top. When I decided to forgive that person. When I decided to start a ministry thing in my home and reach out. When I decided to do all these things, I thought, okay, God's behind me. God called me to this. And for them, for you and I, sometimes we don't know, did God really call me to this? For them, they knew God called them because an angel showed up. If you're, the, if you're like the shepherds today, tell your story. If you're like the wise men today, worship and give. And then Mary and Joseph, just trust and obey no matter what. The band's coming up. We're going to give you a chance to respond to this today several different ways. We're going to sing some songs. And that's part of what worship is all about is to sing Great songs to Jesus and about Jesus. And we're going to sing, I know it's going to surprise you today, we're going to sing Christmas songs. But the Christmas songs are not designed to make you go, hmm. They're worship songs. Uh, One in particular, Hark the Herald Angel Sings. Let the words of that, the dense truth of that, just your soul today. And then we're going to give you an opportunity to come and receive uh, communion in the four corners of the room. There's bread and juice that's there, symbolizing the body and the blood of Jesus. What he would do 33 years later, hanging on a cross for the sins of the world. The bread represents his body, the juice represents his blood. We come and celebrate that, remember Jesus today, even here at Christmas time. This is what his life was all about. If you need prayer for anything today, our prayer team is at the back of the house, right back there in that corner. If you came in today, with stuff 
capital S stuff or small S stuff or something in between, don't just hang on to that stuff. There's not going to be a counseling session back there. They're just going to want to hear, what can we pray for you for? And they're just going to talk to God out loud with you and for you about that. So Jesus, today, God, we, along with Mary today, can declare that we are blessed because the Almighty One took note of us. Ordinary folks from ordinary places and you've done amazing things for us. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast. For more resources, check out go to crosspoint.com.